0: Previously, on Semi-Intellectual Musings.
1: good example of how truth uh, works to provide the basis of all conspiracy theories. And I think that true element in a uh, conspiracy is uh, really important. One of my pet theories, I'm just going to throw this out there, is that aliens
2: started visiting after they saw the detonation of the atomic bomb. Because they, they're like, we as humans... Have moved up a technological like ladder, like rung, and now we're interesting enough to check out. Now we got nuclear and fission and stuff like this. There was not as much blowback on this as there should have been. Yeah. This shouldn't. This should be a huge black eye that every kid learns in like, right. in freaking high school or something. But you just you only and if you start talking about the Tuskegee experiment, even though it's a hundred percent true.
1: You get labeled with all these conspiracy theories. Yeah, as, well. as we heard, over 200 witnesses yes, exactly. uh, saw something yeah. related to it. Now, where I kind of, uh, where I twig, where I get interested is some saw a light, some saw a beam. Mm-hmm. Some saw, you know, uh, you know a shadowy figure. Some saw an alien in yes. all its forms, right? Yeah. So, like, the conflicting accounts of what those 200 witnesses saw, leads, again, to the inability to suppress any one form of account.
2: Now it's time for part two of Networks of Conspiracies. Bro, it's the Unabomber, man. His other defense was that planes flying over his sky is what made him angry, and that's when he sent his first bomb to an airport.
1: All right. And it was like the
2: Connecticut airport or some shit.
1: Speaking of the Unabomber, Matt, uh, let's move into the 1980s, uh, an era replete with conspiracies. And it gets a little messy here. So far, we've been able to trace kind of a relatively nice linear pattern of the development of conspiracies. More and more actors get uh, brought in to the network of conspiratorial schemes. Uh, but the 1980s gets a little messy. Uh, but let's try to unpack a few things that are going on. So how about we start uh, with the war on drugs?
2: I just wanted to make a note. Um, many people say that Ronald Reagan started the war on drugs. Yeah, But there's actually interesting new audio clips from uh, Richard Nixon where uh, one of his aides talks about starting the war on drugs as a way to lock up um, Black uh, African American militants and uh, the hippies, so oh, the war on drug actually started with Richard Nixon. But did he institutionalize any policies? He started to, and then he got impeached oh, right, because okay. he's a piece of shit. <laughs> right. um, so the and another conspiracy, yeah, and like when we talk about the eighties, and when we talk about any time, we always like to kind of pull it back a few years to talk about the context, right? So I wanted to talk about the eighties conspiracy theories because. Um, the mid-70s, 1975, was the end of Vietnam. Um, some of the soldiers who returned from Vietnam were disillusioned with government in such a, an extreme way that they took off to the woods almost and started forming these militia groups. Yeah, yeah. And they became very popular in the 80s. And then in the 90s, um, I remember them being called uh, Federalists groups federalism yeah um and that could be linked to the oklahoma city bombing yeah um and then in you know today these groups have merged into what we know as the alt-right and these are some of the people who are like off in the woods so when we talk about conspiracy theories in the 80s they were often chalked up as these sort of crazy militia guys from the woods
1: yeah And, and like you know in the 80s also saw the development of things like nafta and influxes of people, things, and monies uh, from Mexico and other Latin American countries, Uh, but, like, a profound fear in some American states about what this could do to their way of life.
2: Yeah, and it was the fear of the outsider again, right? And whether it's aliens or it is extremists, I guess, nowadays from the Middle East or wherever the hell, Um, There's always been this persistent fear of the other or the outsider. And this is what Phil was talking about, about conspiracy theories actually having a longer life than the conspiracy theory itself or the people who propose them. Um, These are themes that date way back into it, in this case, American history.
1: Now, uh, also the 80s saw the rise of cocaine. People loved cocaine in the 80s. (laughs) The old yayo so things like NAFTA exasperated uh, economic pressures for Mexican farmers, uh, so reverting from consumable food crops to coca plant, uh, increased the supply of cocaine, lowering the price, and increasing uh, the influx uh, trans-border, um along with transportation of other goods, uh, of cocaine into major U.S. Uh, and Canadian, for that matter, cities like uh, New York, Boston, Toronto, Los Angeles,
2: And we often think of, so we're casting these in uh, political economic uh, terms. Um, So not only did NAFTA further exasperate the economic situation in Mexico leading to an influx of cocaine, um, but the eighties was also a time where right in the middle, there's a huge recession, right? But some people did really well. Absolutely. Because this was also the time of like the stock market and wall street and rolling times. So, The cocaine that uh, Phil is talking about is powder cocaine, and that was what was done by the stockbrokers. But the crack cocaine, the street-level smokable cocaine, um, that is what was uh, becoming villainized and demonized. Um, So along with in the war on drugs, you also see a change to um, sentencing structures. Um, You see new practices by the police, whether it's stop and frisk or targeting um, uh, visible minorities. Um, so you see these government practices going alongside um, uh, the war on drugs, and then you start seeing the conspiracy theories popping up. And this is another one where it's it's a conspiracy theory to say that the government has um, created the war on drugs to sort of keep the black man down. Um, but it's it also one that's true. It's man. so yeah. true, right? Um, but people are cast as conspiracy theory wonks when they say, Hey, the government is out to keep black people down. Now you go talk to someone from Black Lives Matter right now yeah. and ask them if it is a conspiracy that the government is trying to keep the black man down.
1: Yeah. So like uh the,
2: the African American person, sorry. The, the nineteen eighties
1: sees the rise of the prison industrial complex. That's right. Uh that I think we can be agreement on in the United States is targeted towards minorities, particularly black young men. Uh, We also see the rise, and we'll get back to it later, but the rise of some iconic pop cultural figures. Uh, You know, we see the rise of rap music uh, in particular and a culture around consuming certain forms of drugs that the war on drugs is targeting, like crack. Uh, Marijuana is another one. So is it really a conspiracy to say that there are government officials, such as police, who wish to crack down on certain Types, and crack. forms of people yeah. who are then associated to certain forms of drugs, right?
2: So um, one of the giant conspiracy theories, again, that turned out to be true in the 80s was the Iran-Contra scandal, right? And there is this another great Wikipedia rabbit hole to dive down, and I'm not going to give all the details, but essentially it was the Americans um, making trades with Iran to fund the... Um, Nicaraguan freedom fighters, and they were the right-wing guerrillas in Nicaragua, right? So this is an instance of um, um, Reagan was the president at the time, but um, George Bush Sr. was the vice president. And um, this was a clear example of international relations, the drug trade, and the military-industrial complex all coming together here. Um, and another one that I just want to mention: another feature of the '80s was it was the sec- in my opinion, the second renaissance of the pharmaceutical industry. So they had a big surge in the '50s and the early '60s, and they had another one in the early into the mid and late '80s. So um, MK Ultra is the the pharmaceutical industry today is a legacy of MK Ultra because people started losing their faith in the government led research projects, and you start seeing the rise of the private sector, corporate, pharmaceutical industry in the 1980s. So they all kind of come in together.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's a, a general rise of questioning what nation states uh, as superpowers are doing, such as the United States.
2: And can I, sorry, before um, we move on, I just wanted to add a little caveat there. Many of the people who came back from Vietnam or people who were um, disillusioned and just sort of worried about um, the government and the way and the uncertainties and the anxieties, These people were medicalized in the 80s. Absolutely. And when the government or a psychiatrist, whatever, medicalizes you to stop you from talking, that's when people start getting real fucking suspicious.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they start to become suspicious about their own nation state and then their nation state's involvement with others. So Iran. That's right. Latin America, yeah, et cetera, exactly. in the United States, yeah, and you know Thanks, we can That's really see this. <laughs> yeah, we can really see this in the proliferation of comic books in the 1980s. Marvel and DC, for example, all played off these post Cold War anxieties. Um, you know, near the end of the Cold War, when it became clear that no bomb was actually going to go off, it was relatively okay to make fun or at least engage with the fictionalized forms of these new global threats. But you see in Marvel and DC. This conspiratorial scheme around pharmaceutical industries, around the war on drugs, which is high levels of policing. Like think of Batman, for example. Uh, Gotham, you know, has how many police officers can't do their fucking job or whatever. They're there. Uh, So uh, in cahoots with these covert or very shadowy government organizations like the CIA, the FBI uh, in Canada, we could uh, draw similarities with CSIS that also was created in the 1980s. So you see the development of this general anxiety around what our governments as international superpowers are actually doing.
2: And it's interesting that you bring up comic books, something I also love and know a lot about. Um, I wanted to raise that by this time in the 80s, the whole Soviet-U.S. conflict was kind of getting kind of tired. If you're making comic books, it's like that was a tired storyline for them. So you start seeing them get into the domestic stuff. And when Phil mentions the drugs in comic books, it's usually around like mind control and stuff, which is a uh, harkens back to um, MK Ultra. Um, I also think it's interesting uh, you mentioned Luke Cage on uh, the previous yeah, podcast. Absolutely, yeah. so that just popped in my head. That's a perfect example of uh, a crime fighter against the war on drugs and police
1: brutality and what have he, you. He uh, you know, famously is, uh, sent, yeah, straight out of Harlem, sent to Seagate Prison. Experimented on, uh, released as a crime-fighting, bulletproof motherfucking machine.
2: Oh, I didn't even know there was the experimentation aspect. Well, yeah, they're experimenting.
1: They're experimenting on a lot of different prisoners, yeah. and uh, you know his kind of, uh, I guess, encounter with the experiment was one in which uh, some guard tried to kill him or something like that. And, mm. You know the experiment. Oh, so went there's wrong like the moral or... aspect to it too. Yeah, yeah all these, you know, Marvel and DC both. Always combine some sort of sense of morality in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in some way.
2: And that's what gives it the staying power, right? Um, so I mentioned the um, second pharmaceutical renaissance. I also just want to mention in the 80s, there was also a rise in vaccinations. Um, we are not getting into the anti vaxxer movement. No, Don't worry. No, yeah. um, but I just wanted to note it here because this is where that started. When you start seeing um, the children of the baby boomers or the flower children, um, they have their kids in the early 80s, late 70s, and you see an uptick in pharm- in um, vaccinations. And uh, this is where you hear, so this that's the foundation, but now you hear the vaccinations lead to autism
1: and things. So that's, this is the foundation the, of that Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also combined with that, Matt, is a heavy uh, deregulation process that's happening in the United States yeah. and Canada sure. and Mexico. Yeah. Uh, now... The deregulation kind of conspiracy uh, usually crops up in uh, political science textbooks as, you know, it's a wave. It's a new way of thinking about government. So we have, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a new public administration. Yeah. Uh, so those these sorts of theories. That's why they
2: call it neoliberalism, neoconservatism.
1: Neo right. means new, right? But really what it did on the ground was that it uh, instilled uh, a practice of lobbying, Uh, So really what we see here is uh, the nonprofits and the private sectors being extremely close to politicians and to public purses. And right away, that kind of, you know, signals some heightened level of suspicion. Uh, Now, you had Reaganomics that was heavily uh, reliant on austerity measures at the same time as bringing in very highly paid executives of private firms to lobby on behalf of pharmaceutical companies, for example.
2: So it's almost like the government is, quote unquote, getting smaller, but then the secretness with the lobbyists is increasing as you get less, um, almost checks and balances, I guess. That's why you have big yeah. government
1: as of our checks and balances, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, now, yeah. the argument that I'm going to put forward, Matt, and I don't think it's too far-fetched, is that the 1980s, late 1980s, early, early 1990s, led to a general sense of apathy for politicians. So all these things were going on. We knew about some of them, but the general sense was we can no longer follow politics the way it was. At the same time as new technologies such as the VHS, cable at home, home subscription services for magazines, these sorts of things were skyrocketing, the cassette the mixed cassette, which yeah, is a phenomenon tape, yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, it was huge. The expansion of movie theaters. Think of megaplexes that were built. Generation of MTV watchers being formed, trained, right? The, all of this, we see the proliferation and the crystallization of a celebrity uh, culture. And we could call it the celebrity conspiracies that then uh, you know, started in the 1990s were basically the foundation of these sorts of political controversies, such as the war on drugs. Now, I'm going from one extreme to the other here. But, I, I you know, if you follow my line of thought, I'm I, right I, with think you, man. I think it's yeah. there.
2: I'm a half step behind this rabbit hole, I'm behind you on this rabbit hole, brother. Um, yeah, I, I like this technology focus. Um, when people are getting suspicious of the government, also you have all these new media technologies is what we're actually talking about. So you have more of an opportunity to question that government as well but you also get an obsession with popular culture,
1: with celebrity. And profoundly, I believe humans are after some sort of interaction. Yeah, totally. When you have social creatures, we're social creatures, right? And when you have these new technologies entering into the home, when you have this proliferation of an apathy, general sense of apathy towards politicians who used to be in your home, now they're not anymore. Uh, you get the replacement of celebrities. And what these celebrities allowed us to do was to find some sort of connection with them, Uh, you know, to be seen, be heard, uh, be understood by some sort of, you know, uh, quasi-fictionalized character that you would see.
2: And celebrities are almost, at that point, relatable, right? So, like, you start to see the construction of the relatable celebrity, which almost seems like um, a contradiction, Right. But um, that is actually how they were marketed to us. So the 90s were also like the everybody
1: celebrity or the everyday celebrity as well. Absolutely. Uh, The rise of new media. Yeah, for sure. uh, Happened in the 1980s. A lot of people are going to attribute that to uh, the internet. Uh, I actually think it's in the 1980s. It's in the
2: 80s. Yeah. The 80s made the internet in the 90s possible because it gave people. It almost gave people the appetite to be informed and engaged. And that's why the internet in the 90s uh, morphed from... Just this like silly little chat room thing into the humongous political economy industry, whatever the hell you want to call it as it uh, is now.
1: Okay, so let's get let, let's down. get into this. Yeah, the 1990s let's were let's get in wonderful. The, 90s, bro. the 1990s were a wonderful time for some. Matt. My favorite decade. Uh, but the this celebrity culture that we've been talking about that started in the 1980s really fueled a handful of very specific theories concerning the death of celebrities.
3: Long before they were holograms, biopic subjects, and t-shirt designs, Tupac Shakur and Notorious B.I.G were hip-hop icons. The pair reinvented gangster rap in the late 1990s, but it was their notorious rivalry and mysterious murders that solidified their place in music history. As B.I.G once said, you're nobody until somebody kills you. But who took out the most infamous rappers of our time? Almost a decade later, both the Los Angeles and the Las Vegas police are still inconclusive about who is responsible for their murders. Several ex-detectives, journalists and conspiracy theorists have written books suggesting all kinds of perpetrators, from music mogul Sean Diddy Coombs to rogue cops. But they all agree on these facts. On September 7, 1996, Tupac got into a brawl with Crips gang member Orlando Baby Lane Anderson in the MGM Grand Hotel. Afterwards, Tupac left with producer Shug Knight and headed to Club 662 for a midnight concert. Riding down the Las Vegas Strip, Shug Knight's black BMW stopped at a red light. Moments later, a white Cadillac pulled up next to them and opened fire. Shakur was shot four times and died six days later. Six months later, on March 8, 1997, Biggie left a Vibe magazine after party, riding in the passenger seat of his suburban SUV. When the SUV stopped at a red light, a car pulled up next to it and opened fire, shooting Biggie four times. Many point to Tupac's association with the Bloods and Biggie's association with the Crips as the cause of their early demise, making the rappers casualties of a long-standing gang rivalry. LA Times reporter Chuck Phillips wrote that after the Crips plotted their revenge on Tupac, they approached Biggie asking for a $1 million payout. LAPD detective Russell Poole, however, points the finger at record producer Shug Knight. In October 1995, Tupac was pending appeal on his sexual abuse sentence. Knight paid a $1.4 million bail to get the rapper out. Tupac immediately started recording his Diamond album, All Eyes On Me, for Knight's new record label, Death Row. After finishing his three-album contract, Tupac was making plans to leave Death Row to start his own independent production company. Afraid of losing the label's biggest artist, Knight supposedly hired a gunman to take Tupac out at the height of his fame so that he could continually profit off the rapper before he left Death Row. Death Row did profit handsomely from the deceased Tupac. Seven of Tupac's 11 albums were released after his death by Death Row Records. Several albums reached double and even triple platinum. Even Tupac's greatest hits album went Diamond, selling 10 million units. When Biggie was murdered in a similar fashion, stopped at a red light and shot four times, many looked to Suge Knight again. Shakur and Biggie were well-known enemies, often outright insulting each other in their songs. By taking out Biggie, Knight would eliminate his record label's biggest competitor and paint Tubak's murder as the result of the rapper's feud. Suspiciously, the death row entourage was not cooperative with police during the murder investigations. But that does beg the question, If Knight was the mastermind behind these murders, why would he plan to take out Shakur when he was in the car with him? Both Tupac and Biggie were killed in drive-by shootings, leaving public events with numerous witnesses. Yet, no arrests were ever made in either case. They remain unsolved murders. On the night of August 30th 1997 the People's Princess was killed in a car crash in the Pont de road tunnel in Paris, France. 36-year-old Diana Spencer, the Princess of Wales, and her companion Dodi Fayed suffered fatal injuries when their chauffeur, Henri Paul, lost control of their Mercedes-Benz W140 in the tunnel. It's not just what you've done for us that makes us love you so, it's all the joy of who you are, the friend who comes to know. Buckingham Palace was where the people found unity. The world wept for the loss of a British treasure, a charity activist and mother, in this tragic accident. One year on and detectives are still investigating how this crash happened. But experts, journalists and those close to the princess believe that Diana's death was no accident. Instead, they say it was a cold assassination by British intelligence. In 2008, the official inquest into Princess Diana's death concluded that there was not a shred of evidence proving that she was assassinated. The deaths of Diana and Dodi were ascribed to chauffeur Henri Paul. Toxicologists found Paul was three times over the legal drink drive limit and traveling at 75 miles per hour, in an ill-fated attempt to escape the paparazzi following closely behind them. But security footage of Henri Paul before they got into the car suggests that he was sober and not particularly affected by his drinking. At the time of the traffic collision, it was rumored that Princess Diana was pregnant with Dodi's child. Dodi's father, Egyptian business mogul Mohammed Al-Fayed, suspects that the royal family itself ordered the death of his son and Diana, in an orchestrated plot to prevent an Egyptian Muslim from entering the British royal family. Al-Fayed's suspicions may have some truth behind them. A former MI6 agent called Richard Tomlinson, who was sentenced to one year in prison within months of Diana's death for breaking the Official Secrets Act, made a sworn statement to the official inquiry, saying the following. I firmly believe that there exist documents held by the British Secret Intelligence Service that would yield important new evidence into the cause and circumstances leading to the deaths of the Princess of Wales, Mr. Dodi Al-Fayed and Monsieur Henri Paul in Paris in August 1997. Tomlinson was referring to the Milosevic assassination. This was an alleged plot to kill former Serbian president Slobodan Milosevic using methods that mirrored Diana's accident. Milosevic's chauffeur-driven limousine was to be crashed in a dark tunnel where there would be few, if any, witnesses and a high chance of fatality. A blinding strobe light in the tunnel would cause Milosevic's driver to lose control of the vehicle triggering a deadly collision. Coincidentally an eyewitness of Diana's accident claims that he saw a flash of light just before the Mercedes crashed. Sir Richard Dearlove, former head of the Secret Intelligence Service, has dismissed the strobe light evidence as spurious. But other theorists, like Alan Power, point to the suspicious absence of CCTV images of the crash as further proof of assassination. At the time, there were approximately 10 video cameras that should have captured Diana and Dodi's journey but there are no recordings from any of these cameras that evening. Could this be more evidence hidden by MI6? Conspiracists and witnesses of the accident are also suspicious of a white Fiat Uno that emerged from the tunnel after the crash. Forensic tests confirmed that paint from the vehicle was found on the record to Diana's Mercedes. But this mystery car was never traced. This is the moment for me to say exactly what I feel, what happened to my son and the Princess Diana. I hope the truth will come out. At the inquest, the Fiat Uno was dismissed as a cause of the crash, in favor of driver Henri Paul's inebriated state. But Mohamed Al-Fayed believes the real cause may have been an undercover agent posing as a photographer or even driving the Fiat Uno. My son and Princess Diana have been murdered by the royal family. Throughout the 11-year investigation, al had made 175 conspiracy claims to uncover the truth about his son and Diana's death, but the resounding verdict was that the crash was caused by the gross negligence of their driver. On August 18, 2013, Scotland Yard renewed hope in the case when the Metropolitan Police announced that it was assessing new evidence. This time, the British Special Air Service was accused of killing Diana in response to her anti-landmines campaign, which threatened the arms industry. And once again, these allegations were proven false. The cause of death was again attributed to drink driving. But for many who are unwilling to accept Diana's cruel fate, the sinister circumstances shrouding the prince's death remain a mystery. It is a murder, not an accident.
2: Okay, so I remember this so vividly. I was either in grade 9 or 10 um, when uh, Tupac was killed on um, on September 7th. He was shot, and then six days later, he died in 1996. And then Biggie was uh, killed March 9th, 1997. Both times, uh, grief counselors were called into my high school, wow. believe it or not, wow. in Surrey, British Columbia. That's crazy. Um, we didn't even really have like we had a couple of black people in our high school. No, but it didn't matter though. It was uh, it was cross crazy. Culture, like um, people were wearing their Tupac shirts. Tupac was particularly big because yeah. of the West Coast yeah. uh, element. But um, everyone respected Biggie on his rapping abilities and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I just remember people like bursting out in tears in the hallway. People in different grades hugging each other, like a grade eight hugging a grade ten. Like it was just a crazy it time. People together, it was man. Out of place, out That's of time. Crazy. So. um... Yeah, if people don't know again, this is another wiki, but basically um Tupac was uh robbed and sort of shot and left for dead outside the recording studios of Bad Boy Records. That was um the Puffy and, and Big uh, Big E sort of label. Um and then uh he was um he was convinced that they were behind it, uh Bad Boy and he released a whole bunch of, like, diss, uh songs, right? And I'm sure we're going to hear—we've heard of some of those, and we will. But um, basically, it was just this completely manufactured beef, yeah. right? And I knew at the time, and everybody knew at the time, that this was strictly for marketing. Absolutely. And then it got right. out of hand, and, right. and two people were killed.
1: Yeah, I mean, like— uh... Really, when we look at these sorts of feuds, what we see is the 90s, East Coast, West Coast. You know, that's the typical gangster style rap feuds, right? Um, And all the signs uh, that there was an active, principally young audience right for controversy. And when their idols start dying, however that happens, uh, you know, we have rumors and theories that start to emerge. Uh, So all the elements that were previously mentioned. So throughout the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, with the rest of the conspiracies that we've been talking about these are no different. Yeah. Uh, and, so what we also see though, Matt, just before, yeah, sure, go. Cool. You cut in, yeah. is that a celebrity cult fascinated with uh the death kind of starts to emerge, right?
2: Yeah. So before we jump into Princess Diana, um Diana, sorry, Diane, Diane. Is it Princess Diana? Diane? Princess Diana. Diana, right? Yeah. yeah, I got it written down as Diane because I have an Aunt Diane. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, with um, Tupac, I just wanted to make a little note. Um, he was a very conspiratorial rapper. He always Absolutely. talked about government yeah. plots yeah. and the, the police how to get them. And that's not the most outlandish thing in the world, as Phil was saying there. Um, Tupac also, his mom was a, a key member of the Black Panthers. So yeah. he got a lot of his political conspiratorial bent from his mother. And he actually shouts her out like a number of times in various songs. Um, I just wanted to mention that. And Tupac, for me and all my friends, basically, um, he was the one who taught us about politics and government relations like national or domestic government relations. And he also gave for a white boy from the suburbs of Surrey um, and my friends who um, were in the same background he gave us a view into a different world that we would never have access to. So, if one thing that conspiracy theories possibly do is they give us this view into this other world that we don't have access to, and I thought Tupac was amazing for that.
1: Yeah, it's a, a really excellent point. Sorry,
2: man. Tupac's my favorite rapper, so like I, guess, hey. I will just leave it there, or else it's uh, derivative.
1: But <laughs> no, you know we all can, we can all admire Tupac and Biggie for what they've accomplished musically, culturally, yeah. socially.
2: Yeah, and I listen to Biggie now as a grown up just as much, if not more, than Tupac because he, I'll just say it right now, he was the better rapper. Um, highly recommend, though, um, Tupac Resurrection, the documentary, if you want to learn more about Tupac. Um, so, another one, so, right, so 96 was Tupac, early 97 was Biggie, and then in August 31st, 1997, Princess Diana um, crashed her w- car that she was driving in. Um, with her boyfriend as she was being chased by paparazzi. Yeah. So this... In a tunnel. In a tunnel. And there is, like, various, like, video footage of it with, like, camera angles that were, like, cut off and you couldn't see. So it was, like, a perfect, like, you can draw a diagram of the whole incident. And that's what you would see on the internet. So... Princess Diana was really the first to me the first giant conspiracy because people were trying to find the conspiracy in a tragedy yeah, yeah. essentially and now Diana we... sorry Diana if for people who are maybe a little younger who don't know she was so fucking huge man she was such a huge celebrity people can't really understand and she was the first like royalty that was a celebrity since
1: fucking like Queen Victoria or something yeah we sorry Now, we ascribe to Diana her celebrity status, but we also need to recognize, I think, before we move on, her philanthropic work, which was really the anti-mine work that she was doing, going into third world countries, going into uh, ex-US occupied uh, countries, and really working to remove these landmines that were killing children,
2: yeah, I forgot about the landmine work, actually. I'm glad you you pointed that out. And um, like Tupac and Biggie and Phil mentioned this at the beginning, these were celebrities that were somehow relatable to people. Like, when I just mentioned Diana's name, like, it, it sort of chokes me up a little bit, because she was just, like, wonderful. I, I like, right. when I think of Diana, for some reason, I always remember that picture of her dancing with John Travolta. Right, yeah. Right, and the, like, wonderful gowns. And and she was also, like, very much, like, even though she's, like, you know, royalty, she was very much in every person, so she was bringing this, like they say, bringing a human face to the royal family in England. So for British people, um, this was a huge, huge tragedy for them, and uh, they lost more than just like some princess or a duchess or whatever. They lost like I don't, I don't even know. You can't really describe her to anyone else. So it's yeah. it's sort of crazy. It's
1: like a Nelson. What Mandel you've type just of described uh, has also fueled uh, the conspiracy theories revolving around her death. Diana, as we know, had a very tight public relations uh, empire around her. Um, Everything she did uh, seemed, or at least was uh, post-death, contrived to be a PR move. uh, On her Heavily scripted. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. So when we hear about her philanthropic work, when we hear about her wearing her gowns, when we hear all these stories, uh, they're always sort of cast with the, oh, did you know her real side? And there's oh, this kind of yeah, yeah, you the know, witness, the tabloid. Yeah. So what we also see is the proliferation, probably the high point of British tabloids is with the death of Princess Diana. Yeah, and, now, and as yeah, a technology, yeah, uh, yeah, the tabloid yeah. is an interesting sort of device. Yeah. It's a cheap journal that is read by the masses, consumed by almost everyone in very you know, quick kind of manner. Uh, but it's the covers that are on supermarket shelves and on newsstands nationwide and internationally that all carried pictures of princess diana for months and months and months if not years if not i'm pretty sure i saw one last week about how the sasquash was responsible for princess diana's death
2: <laughs> that's awesome um so people from like north america maybe even canada we think of tabloids as just the national Enquirer and the weekly world news but in britain if you don't know i'm they're sure you huge, do know tons, they're freaking tons, huge yeah. and they've also evolved into like it's not legitimate news, but it's like become more legitimate. So these sorts of technologies also change over time. Um, Just on the note of the tabloid, um, Diana, again, she was being chased by paparazzi, right? And Phil does mention her crazy PR uh, empire that she has. So this is another interesting one where, Um, The paparazzi was being formed as like a technology, I guess, if you like. Absolutely. And so was Diana's um, PR, the celebrity PR engine that we now see with like, um, what's her name, the pretty one and then Beyonce and, you know, all these people who have these sophisticated PR mechanisms behind them. They were starting here in the mid 90s.
1: What's her name, pretty one? Uh, Kardashian.
2: There it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't even
1: really find her that pretty.
2: Uh, uh,
1: I know that that's the only thing that she marks herself
3: (laughs) Now, in the 1990s,
1: (laughs) we also have a Rodney King Matt. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring that uh, up. I think uh, this could have been a turning point where people realize that the government might actually be out to get them, that they don't have their interests at heart.
2: So Rodney King was another huge deal, um, from my youth, a little bit younger, but I remember watching the riots afterwards, after the verdict. Um, and as Phil says, this was one of those key moments where people had, um, a real clear example of, um, government injustice, uh, through the hands of the police. And it's something that people can crystallize their anger around rather than just a vague conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Phil, I got a little bit of a question for you. Um, Do you think there is more or less validity or truthiness to these celebrity conspiracies?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Truthiness. Truthiness. Um, You know, I think there is a general rise in opposition to official sources of government information. Uh, And I think if you combine that with the general sense of apathy, that was a carryover from the 1980s. um, You know, I think the validity claims uh, are there. Um, So celebrities became a way to be authentic, to be able to connect with a wider audience than politicians could uh, at any one time, right? So in that sense, I think there is a truthiness to it. Um, And I also think like on the flip side that the political sphere became the site uh, for economy, uh, jobs, and war in particular. And celebrities were the site for the down-to-earth real-life stuff. And I think that's still very much the case. So when something close to you like that gets ripped away. I think then the conspiracy kind of angle to it uh, definitely carries a network of truth claims uh, that are accurate, right? Like you tore what I was uh, what I looked forward to every Monday, right? Like you took away uh hearing the great stories of Diana. You took away the next album of Tupac or Biggie or whatever, right? Yeah, even though he released like 15 more after he died. Well, <laughs> the <yeah>. posthumous stuff <laughs> is still, a little ridiculous, yeah. but So I think, uh, so in that sense, right, I Mm. think that's why this next case that I want to talk about touches really close to home to a lot of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s, and that would be the death of Kurt Cobain.
4: Every generation has its icons, the people whose work captures what it feels like to be a certain age, to live in an uncertain time. For people too young to remember when Jim Morrison or Jimi Hendrix or even John Lennon died, the death of Kurt Cobain just 10 days ago evoked a similar sense of loss. Cobain was 27 years old, a rock star, with a history of drug problems. A few weeks before his death, the lead singer of the band Nirvana overdosed on painkillers and alcohol. But the final blow came from the barrel of a gun, and it was a shot heard across a generation.
5: Has just arrived. He spoke briefly with reporters before going into the
6: upstairs
0: apartment where the body was found. Guns, was a shotgun laying across, to his neck, and there was a uh, suicide note stuck
7: in a potted plant.
4: I was just shocked. I was so sad. I just, <laughs> I even cried
6: people who were fans people in their 20s or younger it hit like a ton of bricks you know this person was very important to them i'm sure this will be remembered as you know people will think back and remember where they heard that heard the news that he had died in his way he was the, the
8: closest equivalent that this decade and this generation of, of rock fans and, and, and rock musicians had to a John Lennon, and I don't make the, that comparison, you know, easily or facetiously.
5: The reason that an older generation probably doesn't understand what's going on, all the commotion around Kurt's death, is because they can't relate to that cynicism, that anger. People just don't understand us. Because like, things are different now than they were when like,
2: our parents are our age. And so we're kind of just like lost and out there.
6: The generation we're talking about has spent its entire sexual prime in the shadow of AIDS. Uh, they're the first American generation that knows it will not do better than its parents. They've grown up with lousy schools and astonishing levels of domestic violence, divorce, drug abuse, violence. Um, it's staggering what's happened, and what Kurt Cobain did was give voice to the, that fear and anger and confusion. Hey, hey, he, like a lot of us, was disillusioned with the way things are going, you know, in life. And we're, a lot of us are lonely and a lot of us are afraid. And I think he had a way of putting it into words.
7: He really didn't care about a lot of things that you're supposed to care about in the public arena. He really just didn't care. You didn't have to wear a certain kind of clothing to go on stage. You didn't have your have to have your hair a certain way and have it styled. You could just do what you want. You could be who you were and go on stage and relate to the audiences that they're people, I'm people. You could be up here instead of me.
6: grew up in Aberdeen, Washington, which is a, a lumber town, a very remote lumber town on the uh, western coast of Washington State. People either become lumberjacks or they become unemployed. There's a lot of alcoholism there and a lot of hopelessness. That's what he came came out
7: of. His parents broke up when he was like eight years old. How many kids have gone through this? You What's know, it's the divorce rate now, 50% or something? And there's an army of kids out there who come from no home and no father and no mother I and mean, who watches these kids you know who, who listens to them you now there's there's nobody there
5: Kurt Cobain stood up and said yeah you know if you're not happy I'm not happy we're all not happy and I I, I guess that's that's where the bond was.
6: Although the lyrics seemed downbeat and dark, the music had a different message. Uh, It was often uplifting and transcendent. And it, it acknowledged your pain and then took you to another higher level. that sort of
7: overwhelming success must be very disorienting. But I think he had problems um, that could never be solved by success, and it's just the latest demonstration that money isn't everything, that success isn't everything, there's something inside of you. If there's pain inside of you, you've carried all your life, it's not gonna go away if you make a lot of money. sang in a way that he seemed to be exercising some sort of pain you might say if you if you watched him didn't know it was that much pain but obviously it was now it seems in retrospect courtney love his wife said in this letter she taped and had read to had played for people uh, people's memorial service two days after he died Uh, He was an idiot for doing this, (laughs) you know. You're just an idiot. Why didn't you stay here? If you hated being a rock star, why didn't you stop being a rock star? Why did you leave us behind?
6: I'm really sorry, you guys.
1: I don't know what I could have done.
6: The scene at the vigil was somewhere between a, a funeral and a rock concert. It was the oddest uh, feeling. Uh, you had people massed in front of a stage, all crowded together, all feeling one feeling very intensely together. And yet it, it wasn't the uplifting feeling that you get with good rock and roll. It was, uh, it was a, a desperate feeling of grief.
5: I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to take that place. I know nobody's ever going to be able to take that place. Somebody like Kurt Cobain doesn't happen every day, and that's why he was so great.
2: Okay, so Kurt Cobain, um, probably the first celebrity, or first musician, I guess, that I really got into. My sister, thank you, Melissa, for getting me into uh, Nirvana. Thank you, Melissa, on behalf of Matt. <laughs> so, it's also the first celebrity conspiracy that I really got invested in. Yeah. So, I'll give you just, again, the cliff notes. Um, essentially, the theory was that Courtney Love either um, shot Kurt Cobain with the shotgun or hired somebody to kill him to help further her own musical career. Um, it's not a rumor, but uh, Kurt Cobain essentially wrote Hole's first album. Uh, Hole was Courtney Love's uh, band. Um And uh, the theory was that essentially uh, Courtney Love was trying to get out from behind Kurt Cobain's shadow. Um, And one of the key details, there's a a police officer from Seattle who like went public with his theory and kind of really solidified the conspiracy theory here because he was a police officer. Right. He Um, had
1: uh, some sort of authority over it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. He had truthiness.
1: Right. Truthiness.
2: (laughs) Um, And the other detail that always stuck out in my mind was that the shotgun was found on the other side of the room. So the thinking was, if you're going to shoot yourself with a shotgun, first off, it's really hard to shoot yourself with a long-nosed like rifle or yes. shotgun. Not that um, I've tried, but I could uh, imagine. Apparently, it's hard. You got to use your toe, but whatever. Um, uh, and th- but th- what the reality is is that the kick from the shotgun sent it across the room. I think, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. But man, oh man, did I believe this the shit out of this conspiracy until a few years later, which we'll get into in a second.
1: So. Uh, we've been talking about technology in various forms. Uh, we've started to bring the conversation around to thinking about emotions, politics, and apathy. And I think Kurt Cobain kind of encompasses that uh, kind of realm, right? Like if you, if when you think of Nirvana, you think of generally apathetic teenagers. Yeah. God, like all <laughs> apologies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: and and that's another point. I'm glad you're bringing this up, Phil. Um, The thing that also stuck out about Kurt Cobain is the stigma around mental health and addictions because uh, Kurt had both, unfortunately. Um, And people were just like, well, no, it couldn't have been a conspiracy because obviously the guy was mentally ill and a drug addict. So of course he killed himself. Listen to his music,
1: right? Yeah. But that could be this, what happened because that's usually what happens. Yeah. But I mean, Hole really sucked. They sucked. Yeah. And Courtney Love, like she's, I don't know.
2: I believe Hole had a really good guitar player, though, a female lead guitar player. Maybe, not, but that doesn't make a band. No, no, that makes uh, a session musician. So, <laughs>
1: like, do you think he did
4: it?
2: Um, killed himself? Did Kurt Cobain kill himself? No, did, yeah, yeah. No, I think Kurt, uh, Courtney Love yeah, uh, hired someone to shoot him, yeah. Like uh, Weirdly, is, I still believe that. This just is another because Beatles she, thing, right? But this is what we get out, like, intentionality and incentive and motive. Um, that actually sort of makes sense. And you see Courtney Love like crumbled afterwards. Right. And I imagine that's guilt. Well. And then also people are now with Frances Bean, the daughter of the two of them. Um, she's uh like a twenty-year-old or something now. Um, I feel like a lot of people on the internet are looking at her to see if there's any cracks or she's gonna say something or if anyone can find any signs in her that like she knows
1: the truth or some shit. Yeah, so we still have uh, all eyes is a conspiracy on, for you to run on. Yeah, we still have all eyes on these things. Yeah. Uh, from all Tupac, eyes on me. Tupac, uh, Biggie, Diane, Diana, and uh, got you saying it, it now. Yeah. yeah, you have me saying it, bastard. Yeah, uh, but the like really the turning point I think is that in the mid '90s we saw a rise in anti-government movements, right? Uh, including anti-globalization, in a major major way yeah the battle in seattle yeah exactly seattle 99 for example woodstock the same year with bands urging folks to just break shit uh yeah right and my one of my favorite bands rage against the machine was in their heyday yeah lots of radio time so there is a feeling of being able to take the power back in some way or another so um you know, call back to Black Panther's movement. Oh yeah, for sure. In a series of Place power, right? Yeah. Which right. could be why on September 11th, 2001, when this happened, everyone took notice and the tune of overthrowing powers that be quickly dissolved. It is shortly before nine o'clock
0: East coast time. So we suspect there would have been a great many people in the
2: building and presumably on those top floors
0: as well.
5: There is considerable and, and truly terrifying damage on some of those floors at the top. More than 40,000 people work there and on any given day, more than 100,000 business and leisure visitors come to the World Trade Center. All
0: pilots who fly in this area know very well where the World Trade Center is located.
5: Whenever people for Newark, Kennedy or, or LaGuardia, when those planes are put into uh, rotation as they're waiting for landing, they circle around this area which is right near the Statue of Liberty. Wind
7: speeds at this point, not tremendous. Tremendous at all uh, flying
0: Picture conditions perfect, near perfect.
7: Conditions. As you can see this is a clear blue sky day in Manhattan. If this was an accident it would be a needle in a haystack kind of accident. I'm afraid we've got a tragedy mm. on our hands. This is horrible.
6: It just blew straight into it. It literally blew itself into World Trade Center. I
8: think we have a terrorist act of proportions that we cannot begin to imagine
7: at this juncture
5: oh my god
7: my goodness oh this is
6: terrifying awful
5: that is a very hard thing to watch to watch powerless is a horror
8: what we have been fearing uh, for the longest time here apparently has come to pass president bush has been informed of this incredible tragedy happening in new york
4: early reports are that at least one of those planes was a hijacked american airlines plane en route from boston to los angeles
8: the crash of these two aircraft into the towers of the world trade center new york appear to be an act of terrorism we
5: want to also remind people that uh, the world trade center bombing that took place on february 26 back in 1993 the product of a terrorist Attack. The result of a terrorist attack. It killed six people and injured more than a thousand.
8: And the explosion happened in a garage in the basement.
7: This was a direct hit on the midsection or upper section of the tower. So the potential for injuries and death, much larger, of course, also some people on the plane.
8: They're going into uh, what they call an archangel operation, which is a code name for uh, essentially a major lockdown of the city, evacuating the United Nations building, the municipal building, City Hall, Gracie Mansion, which is the mayor's residence.
5: David Gregory is now on the phone. Yes, Katie,
7: the president is about to begin an Education event, which is obviously uh, being canceled. He was made aware en route from his hotel uh, to this school here in Sarasota where he was going to talk about education. He'll make a statement, then we're told by White House officials uh,
0: that he will quickly depart for Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a difficult moment for America. I um, unfortunately will be going back to Washington after my remarks. Secretary of Rod Pace and Lieutenant Governor <clears throat> will take the podium and discuss education. I do want to thank the folks here at uh, at the Booker Elementary School for their hospitality. Uh, today, we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the director of the FBI, and I've ordered that the full resources of the federal government go to help the victims and their families, and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence, May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Are not going to see the business of America deferred because of terrorism,
8: uh, whether it's in education or in other area of public
4: policy. The trading on the New York Stock Exchange has been suspended.
8: Uh, Newark and LaGuardia particularly have already suspended operations. The Empire State Building was put on alert. now we have a no-fly zone. Um, all around the lower part of New York City.
5: The Lincoln Tunnel has been closed here in New York.
4: Bridges and tunnels coming into New York have been closed. Uh, That will create a whole different set of problems.
0: Katie, I don't want to alarm anybody right now, but apparently there was an explosion of some kind here at the Pentagon.
4: Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Associated Press is reporting that a plane crashed at the Pentagon. The heart
8: of the military uh, command center of the United States of America, John. It can't get much worse than this, let's hope.
4: We are also getting reports now that there is a fire on the mall in Washington. The car bomb has exploded at the State Department. There is a
8: plane circling the White House at the moment.
4: A
7: white plane, a very big plane.
4: The Secret Service was very concerned, pointing up at the jet in the sky. The Secret Service received what AP is describing as a credible threat of a terrorist attack against the White House itself. The people who came out were told and ordered by the Secret Service to run. I'm in
8: front of the Capitol, and a moment ago, police officers ran up to us and told us, and I quote, there is a plane that has been hijacked and is headed this way. There has been an explosion of some kind. At the Capitol, and back toward the Supreme
4: Court area, we just heard a low, muffled thud. It sounded like a small explosion. Sirens are going off around this city like you cannot believe. Now
7: anything is possible.
8: We want to hold our breath here? It just seems to me for a second, and and not get into a mode that the country is under attack.
7: We are a nation under
8: siege. Tell everybody that uh, heightened security is important now. The word of the day is steady. Steady. This does seem to be surreal, but in fact, it is real.
4: Whatever is happening and whoever is responsible, we have no way of knowing if it's played out yet or if it's just going on. So every time we hear a plane
8: go by, we wonder what the situation is and where it is police have been sent to Union Station, a bomb squad has been sent to Union Station, which as you know, John, is located just a couple of blocks from the Capitol. All military personnel in the, in the District of Columbia are now on something that is called threat level delta which is the highest state of alert in the military.
4: Some of the Secret Service now patrolling the perimeter in Lafayette Park, which is directly across from the White House, have automatic rifles drawn. The President is in Florida this morning, so the President is not in any danger, but the White House, of course, is fully operational whether the President is there or not. It should be noted that there are sharpshooters
7: on the roof of the White House who have anti-aircraft missiles for just this kind of situation. We now are being told that the U.S.-Mexican border
4: has been sealed. The U.S.-Canada border is also in a high state of alert. International flights headed for the United States are being sent to Canada now. There's a report of a second hijacked plane heading towards the Pentagon. We are also being told that the FAA has suspended takeoffs and landings. And I want to make sure I get this right, guys, that in all Uh, at all airports around the country.
8: This is a major development. The Federal Aviation Administration has shut down all air traffic nationwide. This country has been immobilized by these terrorist attacks in terms of air travel today. Chad, just, uh, and if you don't know, just say you
4: don't know. Do Can you recall a situation where every airport in the country had been shut down? Absolutely not, except in wartime. We have a report that uh, there's a fire at the State Department as well. That is being evacuated. The White House is being evacuated. The Pentagon is being evacuated. The Capitol... The treasury building also being evacuated the justice department is now being evacuated the united nations has been evacuated all federal office buildings in washington dc uh, are being evacuated the sears tower in chicago has been evacuated los angeles international airport lax has been evacuated disney world in orlando uh, has been evacuated um, someone said to me a moment ago before the day is over everything is going to be shut down
8: all museums and monuments in Washington are now shut.
5: Including the National Zoo. Security has been heightened at federal courts. All federal buildings we are now learning in West Virginia, in Maryland, in Pennsylvania and in Delaware are closed. In Dallas, offices evacuated. In Florida, Jeb Bush has closed the Capitol. The state of California is on high alert. The state's emergency council has convened there. In Colorado, city and state offices have stepped up security around government buildings. Uh, In Maryland, security officials are tightening security all throughout the state. Security not surprisingly heightened at Andrews Air Force Base. Schools are closed there. In Nevada, security has been increased at casinos on the Las Vegas Strip, at federal buildings across the state, at Nellis Air Force Base near Las Vegas. In North Carolina, military bases are preparing for a possible change in status. In Pennsylvania, National Park Service officials meeting to determine whether the city's high-profile tourist attractions, which include the Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, will be closed.
2: Canada has shut down all of its airports according to the transport minister.
4: Vice President Cheney directing operations and monitoring things here at the White House in the White House Situation Room. From the White House Situation Room, a president or a vice president can direct a war. It is accessible to all information from the United States Military, from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, from the Federal Aviation Administration in this case. The White House Situation Room is a bomb shelter.
8: That's either U.S. uh, Uh, Air Force or Navy aircraft, uh, fighter aircraft, now on patrol, lest there be one more attempt.
4: Two Navy carrier battle groups, the USS
0: George Washington and the USS John F. Kennedy, are being uh, dispatched out of Norfolk Naval Base right now. They are getting underway
4: and heading up the eastern seaboard. Wow. And some people were... Jamie, I need you to stop for a second. There has just been a huge explosion. We can see uh, a billowing smoke rising.
8: Let's go to the Trade Tower again because, John, we now have a... What do we have? We don't... It looks like a, a new plume, a new large plume of smoke.
4: I can't, I'll, I'll tell you that I can't see that second tower, but there was a cascade of sparks and fire, and now this, it looks almost like a mushroom cloud. What is behind it? I I cannot tell you, but just look at that. That is about as frightening a scene as you will ever see.
8: The whole side has collapsed. The whole building
7: has collapsed. The whole
8: building has collapsed? The building has collapsed. It's it down on itself.
4: You can see this extraordinary plume of smoke uh, that is, or was at least, the second tower, the World Trade Center. You could, from where we were standing, see that second building, but you can't see it anymore.
8: That is extraordinary. My God. Now, anybody who's ever watched a building being demolished on purpose knows that if you're going to do this, you have to get at the the under-infrastructure of a building and bring it down.
7: It looked like the top part of the building was so weakened by the fire that it just, the weight of it collapsed the rest of the building. That's what appeared to happen. They were not designed perhaps to take a direct strike from something the size of a 737 or perhaps an Airbus, perhaps fully loaded with fuel. Steel will melt.
4: And there's, you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Oh, there there it goes, there it goes, there it goes, there it goes
7: and take a look at the poignant picture you see there. The Statue of Liberty, folks, is still standing.
4: We have a report that there has been a collapse, a collapse at part of the Pentagon itself. We have a report that a 747 uh, is down in Pennsylvania.
5: I'm gonna interrupt you, Senator McCain. These are the first pictures we have in. Uh, This is from Somerset County, Pennsylvania this is United Airlines 93 this was a Boeing 757 bound from Newark New Jersey to San Francisco it crashed in Somerset County Pennsylvania near the town of Shanksville south of Pittsburgh
4: we are getting information now that one of the other buildings building seven in the World Trade Center complex is on fire and has either collapsed or is collapsing
8: This is certainly the worst and most coordinated single attack in the history of the United States.
2: Okay, so before we get into the conspiracy uh, theories of 9-11, I think we should talk about our reflections of the day and also give a huge like disclaimer that a lot of people lost their lives yep. this day and it's yep. not really that funny, No, but we're going to approach the conspiracy theories around it, like academically or whatever. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I remember it was in my um, first semester or second semester of uh community college and my mom woke me up and she's like, come quickly. There's been a terrorist attack in New York. You have to watch this. And I thought right. she was messing with me for some odd reason because I was half asleep. And then she's like, no, you have to get up right now. My mom is responsible for me watching the O.J. Simpson uh, chase, the Rodney King riots, like all these like huge things in she the 90s. She just CNN on all the time. No, she? she just knew that these are major um, historical moments that I right. needed to witness. Right. So she knew that 9-11 was like that. So I watched it. It was crazy. And then I actually went to school for some reason. It was like yep. 10 a.m. Yep. And um, my archaeology uh, prophet, uh, Kwantlen, uh, Stuart Triplett, I'll give you a shout out. She's like, hey, I don't think we should do class today. Let's just all sit around and just talk and reflect and stuff like this. And that's the last thing I remember about September
1: 11th. Huh, interesting. And
2: there's other features that I remember snippets of, but that was it. Then the day ended for me at 10 a.m.
1: Yeah. I remember there being lots of panic. So I was in high school right? and the high school uh, it wasn't evacuated, but we were kind of... Uh, you know, told to stay in the classrooms, uh, school buses arrived. Uh, we weren't in the end sent home, but there was a lot of panic around what would happen, what could happen, oh, right. where the were things going? right, security threats and stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, so like we were pretty close to New York, uh, you know, plane wise anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. in Montreal. Uh, so there, you know, no one really knew what was going on. Do you remember
2: all the planes being grounded? Like not yeah, seeing exactly, a plane yeah. fly over for like fucking like three weeks well, or whatever? We were,
1: no, well not for well like we were in the country, so we weren't used to seeing planes a anyway. lot. Of planes, yeah, so I was like, just in my
2: Surrey is like twenty minutes outside of Vancouver, and that's the coast, and we we were freaking out about like Los Angeles and connections right, yeah, that way, yeah. right? Um, so okay, those are some personal reflections. Let's dig into the conspiracy in a sort of academic detached way. Um, some of the features of the 9-11 conspiracy theory that I find interesting, um, I'm just going to sort of rattle them off. Um, tower seven, what the hell happened there? Tower seven. So there's the two twin towers. And then later in the day around, like, I don't know, I'm going to say like 3 PM or something, this tower seven, it was like a 20 story building just collapsed on its own. Right. And apparently inside tower seven were a number of key documents about, an embezzlement scandal that was going on about the U.S. government like basically embezzling money from itself. And apparently there was either in Tower 7 or directly where the plane hit the Pentagon, quote-unquote plane, um, there was files for the Enron um, uh, case. So those got destroyed uh, during 9-11, apparently. Um, There was also these support beams that they said would not possibly melt under these conditions. So they had to have like thermonuclear fucking charges or whatever on them. Yeah. And there was a, um, a famous documentary called loose change. Um, uh, we're pretty
1: sure that's the one that you're referencing. For yeah. These, you know? Yeah,
2: exactly. Where, um, they got a whole bunch of like structural engineers together to say that, like, Oh yeah, that could never happen. So there you go. Um, there was also a lack of wreckage at uh, plane wreckage at the Pentagon, um, when you see pictures of it, it was just like, there's a big hole in the Pentagon and n- literally no fucking plane wreckage. Um, uh, there was also, um, yeah, I, and oh yeah. And this is just the last point. I distinctly remember seeing on September 11th footage of the plane that was shot down over Pennsylvania. It was shot down by fighter planes. This is not part of the conspiracy it's known um, but they whitewashed that almost from the media, so you never saw that image after they showed it on that day.
1: Yeah, because uh, obviously
2: it's an image of uh, American fighter jets shooting down
1: a commercial airliner. So
2: and I that's think, not a conspiracy.
1: No, it's not. Um, the, as as we open, there's a lot of lives that were lost. Yeah, and but, the white
2: and sorry, the whitewashing—that's the, where the conspiracy starts to lie, right? Where you you start seeing it taken out of the
1: media. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'm going to venture, Matt. That most of what you just talked about uh, was found on the Internet.
2: All of it. All of it. And that's what makes um, September 11th really interesting because the Internet had been around for six years or so, give or take five, six, seven. Um, But you start seeing the advent of video sharing and um, piracy as well. So you can download Loose Change like crazy off Napster. And that's yeah. where a lot of us started getting into these bigger conspiracy theories. I guarantee fucking to you, that's where you started getting into conspiracy theories as well, downloading them off the internet and things like this.
1: Yeah, the thing is, uh, with the advent of the internet, there is a heightened pressure for publishing presses uh, that are producing magazines and newspapers. And when you have a tragic event that has loss of life, you're not going to find a national newspaper who's going to start to question the official story. You just won't. They're going to be blasted out of the water, right? So they're going to stick to some form of script uh, that could be official documents, official lines or whatever, uh, pretty closely. And you might get the odd editorial or the odd sort of remark that says, hmm, that's kind of strange. But the internet emerges in 2000, 2001, especially after September 11th, 2001, as this really, you know, awful... Crude, cold Ooh, interesting. place. Oh, I never we thought We can of that. start to question official lines regardless of the loss of life. So oh, when, you, that, when you look at something like loose change who that has gone, I, I don't know what version they're on, but I remember seeing it go from version one to seven yeah. uh, as they were like adding stuff for or whatever. You, loose change. Um, yeah. <laughs> Keep working that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good contract for <laughs> yeah. a free video. Right. Um, but eventually, you know, at some point they did bring in like, Oh yeah, it's pretty sad that people died. Right. But at the beginning it was very cold. You know, look, look at what happened. Look at the facts. these deaths, uh, were caused by our own people, blah blah blah, right? Um, so it, you know the internet, and today to uh, the 2017, we can call Reddit uh, the kind of cold-hearted place that it is, right?
2: Yeah, the dark evil corner of the internet. Um, I'm just writing down. This is also because I never thought about the the internet turning dark after 9/11. Yeah, and that's a really fucking good point, man. Another point that has popped in my head is this is when you start seeing documentary movies having their real renaissance, right? And uh, I was thinking about Michael Moore and that uh, one particular movie yeah. he made. I can't remember the name right now, but go on. But only for Columbinos after that, the right. next one. Uh,
1: okay, I want to move on away from 9 uh, yeah, 11, though. For sure. Um, There's a lot, way more to cover. Go on YouTube find out more. <laughs> New World Order and the Illuminati. Yeah, for sure. Uh, these are old theories, uh, but they are like meta theories when it comes to the internet. Uh, They're ones that appeal to uh, basically whatever and whoever and whenever something happens in the world. Uh, The hurricanes of late 2017 that we're experiencing right now are being explained in some corners of the Internet uh, by NWO theories, NWO forces, the Illuminati, etc. Now, the Internet allows the proliferation and the diffusion of this network of truthers and these networks of people who believe that the new world order is real who actively seek out evidence that the Illuminati is operating and is in a town near you.
2: So how do you delineate? Sorry. uh, How do you delineate between the Illuminati new world order and real secret societies and groups of individuals, conspiracies like the thieves nest, uh, like maybe they're not called the Illuminati, but there's definitely fucking like groups of like high powered individuals controlling shit, pulling the puppet strings. Right.
1: I, you know, I, Honestly, I can't answer that question. I'm not I'm not one who follows the uh, New World Order or the Illuminati or the kind of Freemason sort of conspiracy theories. I think uh, there's a lot of graphical details that these people turn to. Like they look for a lot of pictures and they look for a lot of things. And I don't know, they seem to be looking for details and pictures all the time in an age when we know that a picture can be photoshopped so easily. Uh, so it just seems, I don't know.
2: So, okay, there's this famous... I'll just give him one shout-out. I can't believe we got through this whole episode without saying. Alex Jones.
1: There he is. I was wondering how long it was going to take.
2: Um, He's got this crazy great video of him at Bohemian Grove. It's Uh, in California, and they show these like billionaires essentially burning an effigy of like a wicker man essentially in the yeah. woods and, and wearing
1: robes, robes you
2: know. and it's like, God damn, like you can't stage that. That's, that's real. Um, I think it's interesting that you also mentioned the oldness of these with the Illuminati and the new world order. This is what he said way at the beginning of this long exactly. episode yep. that these conspiracy theories all have longer histories. <laughs> um, and also the Illuminati and new world order is a nice little catch all, um, explanation almost for all the wacky conspiracy theory. So I, as you're talking there, I wrote down the lizard people, right? Yep. They're usually they're linked to the uh, royal family and they look at, unfortunately, Queen Elizabeth II and say, so look, she looks uh, like a lizard. Like Scientology. Yeah, well. exactly. There's the hollow earth. And that's sometimes, yep. some people think that's where the lizard people live. Um, there's chemtrails where they're controlling our minds, man. Yep. And then, um, and then there's also the Freemasonry, which is the old one as well. Yep. And they all get lumped into these New World Order, which in itself is a catch-all phrase. And then the Illuminati, which has a little old history.
1: And um, so we're going to quickly wrap it up. But, Let's but, wrap but, but, up, before, <laughs> but before we do. <laughs> one more uh, point. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. Later, we have uh, a couple more beverages that we're going <laughs> to <Jesus> try. <Christ. laughs> yeah, we have a couple more that we're going to try. And one of them picks back up on this New World Order thing. Oh, um, cool. But from uh, a very famous boat. Oh, uh, nice. Okay, so the last thing, Matt, I have the last word. We are not conspiracy experts. No, we're not conspiracy experts. (laughs) Uh, We set out uh, to find and to do what we thought an analysis of conspiracy and conspiracy theories would look like from the social sciences, humanities, and arts. I think we could probably do an entire mini-series on this. Yeah, I think so too. This, this, been, this show is like three hours long. Yeah, man. This, is, <laughs> this, this is ridiculous. This is this is our longest. It's episode not just because we had a few beers. <laughs> like this is just a no. lot. Uh, it's been great though. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, if you, as a listener, have questions, comments, concerns, considerations, or corrections, please get a hold of us. You can do so on Twitter at the underscore sim underscore pod. You can do so on Facebook. At the SimPod, all one word. You could send us an email at semiintellectualgmail.com. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Player FM, Overcast, pretty much any other podcatcher that you use. So please make sure to subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And coming soon, as soon as I can edit them, Matt, some special bonus content called Patio Sessions, where Matt and I sit down and talk about stuff. So uh, become or stay subscribed for those. We thank you. When we come back in a brief moment, we will continue to sample some fine beverages that pay homage to conspiracies. So stay with us soon after this break.
2: The truth is out there.
1: back, everyone. We have set up a few more beers and a wine to taste God, and why? to talk about. Why? <laughs> I'm uh, pretty excited uh, to try uh, these. I actually had to open the wine last night, Matt, to try it. Uh, <laughs> Shame so on I, you, Phil. So I, I made some pasta sauce last night. Uh, I cooked that sucker for like 10 hours, man. <laughs> it was delicious. Uh, so we had to try this wine. Yeah, good for um, you. But first, um, I'd like to open uh, <laughs> Okay, I have to explain what's going on. Here. Okay, for so sure. we have glasses spewed out all yeah, over I'm, the place. I'm holding this giant bottle of beer in my left hand. the <laughs> I don't know where he's going with this, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's there's, there's just okay. So the first one uh, that um, I want us to try is Titanic. Uh, it's brewed in Montreal. Uh, I picked it because of conspiracy theories revolving around the boat Titanic. Uh, one alternative theory is that the boat that actually was sunk was the Olympic, an almost identical ship. Uh, This theory is popular because it involves a plot to collect insurance money, uh, which has some ring of truth to it after all. Uh, The second most popular alternative theory of the Titanic sinking is that the boat uh, was deliberately sunk as a plot orchestrated by J.P. Morgan to eliminate people who opposed his plan for the creation of the U.S. Central Bank. Now, in both cases, the boat, in these alternative theories, the boat was deliberately sunk by the power of house JP Morgan and we can see other conspiracy mm. theories involving him or his trust funds in many different forms. Yeah, for sure. Now, the new world order, Illuminati, Masons, yeah. all that shit put JP Morgan at the center if not the center guy of some of their theories. Really? So, yeah, so it, you know, I think uh trying this it's beer. Perfect beer. Uh it's a very dark beer. Uh I'm going to give it a little taste. Matt, why don't you tell us what you think about it?
2: Oh, it's nutty. <laughs> it's very nutty. Uh it's like a uh, Light brown, um, it's got good uh, good fizz to it, but um, I don't know, the finish is really nice. It's um, All these beers, actually, for hoppy beers, um, they, they cut clean, and this one has definitely got a little bit more malt to it. So yeah, just the, like J.P. Morgan, the, yeah, a malty <laughs> son multi. of a
1: bitch. <laughs> so this is a strong beer on <laughs> lees, um, which is kind of like, a, I would say it's a Quebec kind of specialty. Oh, okay, um, cool.
2: I'm liking it, man. Again, another dark beer that I enjoy. Yeah, it's,
1: it's brewed by the Brassard RG. Ink in uh, Montreal. There's a a nice uh, picture, uh, you know, hand hand drawn picture of the Titanic. It's a sturdy bottle Um, too.
2: It's one of those like um, Unibrew
1: kind of bottles, like big and tall. It's a big tall bottle. Uh, And their slogan, Matt, is Titanic. A beer that flows. Now I find that kind of interesting. <laughs>
2: well, if it didn't really sink, man, then maybe it is flowing like crazy right now, right? Maybe it's just out there. Maybe it is. Maybe it's like Carnival Cruise Line that's been retrofitted. So, Matt, Here's, I like, really want to wet for you.
1: Matt, I really want to wet your whistle here. Uh, I have just a wine. Putting uh, one <laughs> glass down and picking up another. P- picking folks. up another one. Uh, this is a wine from California. Uh, Ooh, it's jammy. a Cab Sauvignon. Very jammy. Uh, the wine is a homage to the banishment of Canadians to Australia for crimes committed. Uh, um, and is, wine... it, um,
2: is it considered a crime to chill a cab Sauve? Because that's what I'm drinking right now. And I've, the last time I've had a chilled red wine was Italy in Tuscany.
1: I always Sexy chill bastard. my cab Sauves. There's some Ooh. that I won't chill. Uh, but a cab Sauve particularly will sit in the fridge. Mm. Uh, I like generally taking it out half an hour. Mm. Uh, to when I will open it this one uh, unfortunately we just took out so it's a bit cooler than I would have liked and a cab, uh, always
2: can, a cab can stand up to some chilling because it's got the body exactly. to it, and it also chills out the tannins right? yeah okay so, cool tell so, us the story friend. yeah
1: so this wine uh 2015 batch it is called uh 19 crimes uh <laughs> it has an amazing picture of a banished uh Canadian to Australia um it's awesome. <laughs> and uh so the, and each uh cork actually comes with a different crime. So we got theft and burning of clothes. Burning of clothes, and, eh? Burning of clothes. Oh, crime man. 13.
2: There's some amazing dollop episodes about the founding of Australia, and there was a few that were like explicitly about being naked, because they're so poor in Australia that yeah, they exactly. literally had no clothes.
1: So um overall I think that this wine uh, is a good cab stove oh yeah no it's nice man it's a nice sipper for sure it uh it definitely has some body to it yeah for sure it's um it probably
2: would prime us for some porch uh sessions out there as well right
1: well considering how much we've drank uh today matt i think all of this could i might be sleeping under your
2: picnic table homie
1: <laughs> so we've had three beers and a wine yeah um do you want to kind of rate beers. them? Do you want to say which one uh, was your favorite?
2: But I think we had like, oh yeah, three beers. Oh no, we um, maybe had four. I think we had four beers maybe and we had four? some wine. Um, I like the, uh, I kind of like this one with...
1: The Session IPA. I'm going to put the words in your mouth.
2: Yes, that's, uh, that's the one I think I'm uh, reaching for. Oh, actually... Um, I kind of liked the Ransack the Universe um, Hemisphere. Yeah, because it just had a little bit more hops, but the Session IPA is amazing. And can you explain to us what a Session IPA is? Because you just told me and I thought it was fascinating.
1: So (laughs) so you have the regular IPAs. This is the story that was told to me. And I hope someone can contact us to correct me. But you have the Shit, regular, man, this might be the thing you're an expert in, so but, like, but don't you,
2: disclaimer this one.
1: <laughs> but you have uh, the regular IPAs that use a certain batch of hops, and you, uh, as a brewer, you want to reach uh, the certain IBU level with it. Now, that doesn't always happen depending on the batches of hops, depending on a whole bunch of things that happen in the brewing process, right? So when you don't get to the I, IBU level that you want, uh, but it does taste good, generally those get marketed as session IPAs. So your session IPA is kind of a limited run sort of ipa now uh there are some companies who will sell on a continual basis a session ipa because they found a flavor that they like but generally it's because they messed up a batch and that's why it's called a session ipa
2: that's really interesting man this titanic beer has a really like chocolatey mocha nose on it as well um i i this was (laughs) almost to
1: uh, a murphy's um stout this oh, this yeah. uh titanic but it's not a stout beer but no, i no. equate it with the nuttiness almost to a murphy stout
2: yeah it has the features of a stout without the body
1: yeah easy drinker i like Matt, it do you have anything else left to say about our <laughs> Man, for drunk?
2: one second, do you think I do? Do you think I have anything else to add? Well, Fuck, no, I have nothing not. else to add, man. Just tell them how they can if reach us, would, son.
1: If you would like to add to the conversation, you can contact us on Twitter at the underscore S I M underscore P O D. You can contact us on Facebook at the SimPod, all one word. You can send us an email at semi We're on Google, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on pretty much any other podcatcher of your choice. So please make sure to subscribe. And I'm going to uh, wish Mel, uh, Mel's dad a happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Mel's dad. So happy birthday uh, to him. And I would like to thank everyone who has followed and subscribed to our Facebook page. And you can do so by visiting at The SimPod on Facebook.
2: Yeah, thanks for hanging
1: in there, folks. This was a long one. It, this was a long one, but it was a good one. Yeah, I, I had think. a blast. I had this a blast. might have been my favorite episode. And we will talk to you all next week. Talk to you
6: soon.